wait for the wait for the lag to sort itself out because every t- every time I do a podcast, some sort of technical issue. Doesn't matter who I've got on. Well, we're also <laughs> talking about what yeah. sixty five hundred miles away. So exactly, but fingers crossed it all goes well. First up, if you hear any random like noises outside, I ha- I've, I'm in a shed, so I've had to open my door of my shed because it's it's so hot it's like i'm basically sat in a sauna at the minute uh, <laughs> no worries so fingers crossed that doesn't come up also yeah big fan of the t-shirt my friend before i know right it's like my favorite band i mean i'm not gonna not wear the oasis t-shirt talking to the uk guys happy days me, me and uh me and darren are huge fans like before we get into huh. the gritty, you know. Perfect. Growing up, growing up in the nineties, that's all we listened to. Yep, that's what I still listen to. Yeah. I still do. So, yeah, see when I'm when I'm yeah. at my regular human job, driving around, at that, that's literally Oasis banging or or uh, or just Liam Gallagher on his own. But yeah, right on, man. I'm, I'm actually chuffed that you're wearing that T-shirt. <laughs> it was actually pretty random. I didn't even think about it until I was like, oh, wait, I'm talking to a guy in the UK and I'm wearing an Oasis T-shirt. Maybe he'll like me more. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he'll like me more. Definitely. So, I, th- I think we need to get straight into it. As we would say in sure. the, the British mil- military, let's go balls deep. Let's get straight in there. Yeah. Let, yeah, let's- so... I don't know, how do you want me to start, Sean? However, you wanna you wanna run your podcast, so I'll just mate. It's lead. it's it's your story. I'm here to help spread your story. So, however however you want to uh, to start it, just crack on, and I'll uh, obviously sure. interject um, whenever I need to. Okay, <laughs> I'm looking, yeah, I've been looking, good. Been looking forward to this all day. <laughs> yeah, me too, actually. Uh, before I have to go do training tomorrow for like the next few weeks. So that's going to be fun. But anyway, yeah. So my name is Adam Dorito. Uh, I was born in Poughkeepsie, New York in the United States and grew up in New Jersey, which is actually named after Jersey Island in the UK. Um, joined in 2006, uh, got accepted to the United States Air Force Academy, which is one of the five federal military academies in the United States. The other ones being West Point, which is for the army, Annapolis, which is for the Naval Union and the Marine Corps, Coast Guard Academy, which is obviously for the Coast Guard, and the Merchant Marine, which is our civilian uh, counterparts that deliver and transport military equipment around the world. So I was pretty excited. It was always my dream to join the military since I was really young. I uh, always wanted to fly fighter jets and do all those fun things that, you know, you go to air shows and you see all those, you know, exciting things when you're a kid. Uh, you know, ironically, I was in a unique position when 9-11 happened, being in New Jersey, you could actually, we were very close to New York City. When yeah, yeah. Oh. One of the towers. So joining the military took a different personal context to me, being on the East Coast and witnessing an active war on my own country. So from there, you know, I really wanted to push myself to try to get into the Air Force Academy. Now, I wasn't the smartest person growing up in high school, so I had to become a more well-rounded person, right? Yeah, so I know, I know what I you're saying. Became, 
Yeah. So, I mean, I had pretty decent grades, but to get into, you know, a military academy, you have to be like the top of your class. Yeah. And everything, you know, I, I did, fo I did football, American football in high school. You know, I did track. I was a sprinter and I was a, a, a thrower, you know, for javelin and discus and shot put. So for me, you know, to make that more well-rounded ability to get into the military, I decided to become a firefighter and an EMT in my hometown as a volunteer. Oh, nice. um, and doing those things. Yeah. And uh, so doing those things actually gave me a lot of really good experience. You know, I saw I, I, the unique thing about my hometown is that I live in a very wooded area in New Jersey. So there was a lot of car accidents, you know, a lot of extrications, yeah. uh, lots of trauma incidences to deal with. Yeah. So I was able to, at a very young age, get a lot of experience with death, suicide, traumatic incidences. Um, you know, one of the things I had brought up in a previous podcast, uh, which I know has gotten some, some interesting notes on it, but I guess I should explain the full story. So, <laughs> so there was an instance uh, at a party in high school where I was called by one of my friends to come down because one of the people uh, was injured, right? So I go down there and the way I explained it in the previous podcast, I just put everything into one person, but I guess I'll just, I'll tell you how it really happened between three different yeah. people. So one, one individual was knocked unconscious and wasn't breathing. Um, he had a bunch of uh, mulch and dirt shoved into his throat. So I had to resuscitate him. Um, he actually came back, you know, it, it wasn't too long. So, I was able to get him breathing again. The second individual had gotten hit in the face with a golf club and split his lip open. But this particular individual was also getting ready to leave for the military and he couldn't have anything on his police record. So he didn't want me to call the cops or the ambulance services. Okay, no, so yeah. he had me, so he had me put sutures in his face to put his lip back together um, to carry <laughs> on his way and go heal at home. So he didn't have yeah. to tell his mom or the cops that he got in trouble. And the third guy, which we had to actually send to the hospital, he got his teeth knocked out with a baseball bat and there's not much, my level of expertise or training could do with lost teeth, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a dentist. Um, no, <laughs> not a dentist, not at all. So, no, so, so, yeah, I mean, that was, um, that was probably, you know, a lot of good trauma training. I mean, I thought it was really great. I got those experiences, you know, before I joined the military. So, I left for basic training in June 26 of 2006, and I arrived in Colorado Springs to start my basic military training for the Air Force at the Air Force Academy. You know, it's pretty standard training. And back then we wore, we still wore the Woodland BDU camouflage pattern. So, yeah, yeah. you know, we were still shining black leather boots and we were still ironing uniforms, which is no <laughs> longer a thing with all these new fancy things, yeah. right? And then this is only- I, I knew exactly what you that long ago. Same with, with me when I joined in uh, 2008, I joined um, the British Air Force. And yeah, same thing. We were in the woodland uh, camo or uh, DPM, as it was called, or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, black boots had to make them ship shape and shiny. They, they now wear like brown boots or some shit. It's like what? Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's kind of funny because it's like you have a lot less things to do in basic training now because half yeah, of your basic training is spent ironing and shining, right? So now, <laughs> I, you know, I'm like, I, I got another experience with that when I ended up getting back in, right? So. Um, moving into my sophomore year, you know, you're as a freshman, you're pretty much treated like crap. I mean, you're always just running around and getting yelled at and doing things. And then when you become an upperclassman, you know, you move on to, you know, the second part of your, your, you know, the Air Force Academy career. Right. And from there, you know, I had a unique situation. So, you know, when you're a cadet at the Academy, you can never leave base. You can never go anywhere. So meeting 
women or you know members of the opposite sex for dating when you're a young military man is is not exactly easy to do on a military base when yeah you're confined there all the time so a lot of so a lot of so a lot of uh guys at the academy that i went to we were in online dating and that was before apps it was everything was online everything was just with email back then so uniquely i get contacted by my commander um at the time and we him and i didn't really get along he was an air force guy um you know my previous commander was actually an army attache uh officer so i had a great experience with him uh, but this this gentleman was quite different in how he handled disciplinary issues so he tells me i needed to go down to the air force office of special investigations or air force osi as we call it here in the united states now i get down there for that interview and they said oh well we found your civilian email and was on this traffic and we see that you were talking to this specific email address and i was like okay sure i mean whatever you say that's i mean obviously that must be it because that's what you're telling me yeah and they said well were you aware that the person you were talking to was underage and i said absolutely not because this person who i've been talking to on email for only what two three weeks at the time they said they were the same age as me now it's horseshoes and hand grenades everything online can't be perfect yeah, yeah, especially cool. over 10 years ago but the interesting component to this and this is actually um information that i talked to your brother about because i found this out after i did andy stump's podcast in the united states was that I've had private investigators working on this case for many years and yeah, we're yeah. still getting new information every day. But the interesting thing about that was that I was told that a civilian um, a law enforcement agency known as Colorado Springs Police Department had forwarded information to the Air Force Office of Special Investigations that my email address was attached to this address book for this individual. I assumed that that was true. I was never presented any evidence, nor was I ever interviewed by any civilian legal authority. Now, normally when um, a civilian entity is investigating a member of the military, that entity interviews that person. And yeah. if, if they want to take jurisdiction over the case, they maintain that jurisdiction. If they feel like it's better suited to be dealt with in the military, they will release their authority and jurisdiction over the case and give it to the military. Um, at least that's how the legal system the military yeah, well, I'm pretty sure it's similar over here as well. It's like we're we're not above civilian law or anything like that. Right. So you're, right. If, exactly. Uh, so yeah, if you're if you've done something, so you're should going to get prosecuted, then yep. come in and do it. Yeah. So should I have been investigated by this person who apparently was a civilian? Then the civilian authorities would have first, you know, yeah. dibs, so to speak, on my case. Now the interesting thing was, as I was never questioned by any civilian authority. I was never presented any evidence that I was actually talking to anybody uh, underage at the time, nor was any evidence presented to me after the fact. I just assumed that what the military or what these agents were yeah, in yeah. the Air Force Office of Special Investigation were telling me was true. So after we've done our requests and we've done some information digging in, the, in only the past few weeks, we finally got an answer back. There are no records of me ever being investigated by any civilian authority ever in the Colorado Springs Police Department. So that potentially means that I was coerced and yeah, forcefully yeah. recruited to be an undercover informant for Air Force Office Special Investigations against my will because I was uh, blackmailed into working for them thinking yeah. that I had done something wrong when I never actually done anything wrong, yeah. wrong in the first place. But at 19, at 19 years old, I didn't yeah, know I was, was going to say when, I was you're, when you're like 19, 20 and you're getting 
questioned by higher ranks, you're you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, definitely. Yep. Especially you, as as yeah. the saying is, you're wet, wet behind the ears, aren't you? You don't really know what what the fuck's going on. No, you, exactly. You used to and be yelled at all the time. By, <laughs> absolutely. I was being told by higher ranking people. I was being told by these federal law enforcement agents that this was the the truth, and I didn't do anything to question it. I didn't have a lawyer. I was never read my constitutional rights. I never signed any paperwork. I was just told. This is what we're, we're telling you. You're going to believe it. And now you're going to work for us. So for the remainder uh, of my time at the Air Force Academy, I worked as an undercover cadet informant while I was finishing out my time uh, in, during my academic studies. Interestingly, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty fucked, to be honest. Yeah. So, you know, but the hard thing about that, that is, is that, I mean, you're, you are, I was doing a lot of investigations on underage drinking drug trafficking, sexual assault, and rape. Now, primarily, I mean, the most concerning things would be sexual assault and rape. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, but a question I've been having to ask myself over the past few weeks when a lot of people have come talk to me about my cases, <clears throat> why the hell is the U.S. government and the U.S. military using federal law enforcement agents to try to get people in trouble for underage drinking? That seems like a massive waste of resources and government yeah. funds, to be honest. You know, but, Definitely. you know, in the Air Force Office of Special, I mean, how many times were people drinking underage in the military? Uh, I'm going to go with near 100%. Yeah, you know, pretty I mean, much. That's all, that's all you do is drink anyway. <laughs> yeah, you got nothing to do. People are drinking and throwing beer yeah. bottles off the second deck. And, and it's, so, one of, it's one of those, isn't it? It's like, I'm old enough to join the military, go fight for the country, put my life on the line, but you're not going to let me have a beer? Come on. Exactly. Yeah, precisely. Right. And, you know, our drinking and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure like we actually have a higher drinking age here. In yeah. The yeah. Yours is doing 20, the UK. 21 hours is 18. Yeah. So see if uh, we had the UK laws here, uh, none of this would ever been a fucking issue here yeah. at my time. Well, as a cadet, that, that's right? another so, thing that's, that is different. So we, we can join, we can join our military at 16. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I didn't know you yeah, could. So, um, when I was on basic training, we had the UK military at 16. That's a, you know, they yeah, should probably do that yeah. in the United States. Some- a few, a few, a few guys joined up, and they were ju- literally just sixteen. Um, and they say that you can do it just because it, if you're not very academic, that sort of thing. Especially in my role, I was uh, infantry, so you know, grunts sure. on the ground, thick as shit, as they would say. Um, if they're not yep. very academic, they could, they've got a good start to a decent career. Um, in fact, one of one of my buddies who did join up when he was sixteen, he's still serving now, and he's. Uh, coming up to become a sergeant i think our rank structure takes a bit longer to climb than than uh the one in the u.s as we used to take the piss out of the marines when we were over in afghan um but yeah we we would always joke that they had to do at least 18 months for the queen where like when i joined i joined up when i was 20 so i if i got deployed i got deployed straight away where those guys because they were underage uh not 18 they they had to uh would would have had to stay behind so they would have had to done 18 months or or more uh chilling out at the barracks so they've got they've got they got a couple of years for the queen to to serve as it were which is quite funny that's actually a pretty unique situation i wish they had some kind of program like that in the u.s because i think a lot of citizens here uh you know have forgotten you know you know what real servant leadership looks like and i think a program like that where you have the ability to serve at a younger age would really enforce, you know, you know, duty and country and all those other things that, you know, 
people like you and myself, you know, have dealt with for, you know, several years serving in the military. Definitely. Um, so, yeah. So, so working, you know, with OSI, you know, was interesting. You know, there, there were a lot of bad things going on at the academy at the time. And mostly my focus was on rape and sexual assault, which is a very prevalent problem in the U.S. military even today. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So when I decided that, you know, I wanted to go to a different service branch, which you can do at the Air Force Academy. Now, normally it's a gentleman's agreement. If you go to the Air Force Academy, you stay in the Air Force. If you go to West Point, you stay in the Army. But there is a contingent factor that you can cross commission into a different service branch. I decided I wanted to go be a Marine. And I decided I wanted to do that after I had my first flight experience in fighter jets. I was able to go on uh, something called Operations Air Force during my sophomore summer. And I was down in Eglin Air Force Base, Florida. Um, and the really interesting thing about that was I got to get some stick time with an instructor pilot and an F-16. And they introduced, and they introduced, yeah, it was wild, man. It was probably one of the best times I've ever had pulling G's and flipping around and doing <laughs> air to air maneuvers and everything else. Yeah. And, um, at the time at Eglin Air Force Base, this is where they're doing the new joint training facility. So actually guys from the UK, Australia, wherever we're selling the F-35 will actually come to Eglin Air Force Base in Florida to get their initial pilot training oh, no. for the F-35. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, well, this is fascinating. And I didn't, and I was talking to one of the facility managers there and they actually were telling me that the United States Marines were going to be the first ones to get the F-35. And I said, well, if the Marines are going to be getting, being the first ones to get the F-35, then that's where I want to go. Yeah, so yeah. I decided to start my journey to become an F-35 guy by trying to venture into the cross commissioning program. So right before I was about to leave for Marine officer candidate school, which is required even for the Marines. So even though I was going to commission out of the Air Force Academy. The United States Marine Corps would still require me to complete their officer training since yeah, yeah. Uh, Air Force training doesn't count for the Marines for obvious <laughs> reasons, right? So yeah. very different, very different bag of tricks over there. So, you know, uh, the week or two before I was getting ready to leave for Marine Officer Candidate School, uh, I had my, my roommate and my neighbor in, in my, uh, my dormitory, they were going to go run the Fort Collins Marathon. So they wanted me to drive them up there and hang out with them at a college party. Uh, you know, as a cadet, any exposure to any civilian atmosphere is better than sitting in basically yeah, what seems like prison on base. So we go yeah. up there that one night. <laughs> yeah. You know, so we go up there, it's civilian atmosphere, you know, it's, it's crazy. I mean, there's beer everywhere and, you know, uh, women that aren't in the military. So, I mean, everyone's having a good time, but then they leave me there. And this is where things went bad for me was, you know, I, I truly believe that I, I had gotten drugged at that party because yeah. I'm a bigger guy, right? I played rugby all through the Academy. Um, I'm, I have an Irish and Italian background, so I know my alcohol tolerance, obviously. And yeah. it was the first, <laughs> yeah, it's the first time and the only time in my life, even to this day that I honestly can't remember what had happened to me. And all I know is that I had blacked out around midnight or one o'clock in the morning when everyone had left me there. My, nice. my cell phone went dead and I woke up. Yeah. I woke up several hours later and I was in a dormitory room that I had no idea where I was at. I had no idea what happened to me, but I had looked at my clothes had been removed and I looked down, you know, through my underwear and realized, you know, something's not right. So I actually immediately reported it to my commander when I had gotten back to base and he immediately said, you're lying. You're making this up. You're a rugby player. There's no way these things can happen. But I will tell you that drugs, you know, are a great yeah, equalizer. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter how big you are. Uh, when somebody drugs you, there's nothing you can do. When about somebody it, right? slips so, your roofie, and you're, um, you're not going to remember shit. 
Right. So I, um, a week later, you know, my, I tried to report it through the military channels. I did yeah, do yeah. something in the U.S. military called an unrestricted report. So I had filed with, for a victim advocate to try yeah. to get the case investigated and they weren't doing anything right off the bat. So since they weren't doing anything, I actually reported it to the Colorado State University Police Department, which is the university I was at. So the civilian authorities were actually taking more initiative and doing things for my case than my own military counterparts were, you know, which is concerning. Cause I mean, yeah, of course you know, is. you figure in the military, you're going to get supported by your own chain of command. Yeah, you'd like to, you'd like to think you're getting care. the support from, from those that like, like up the, up the chain of command, even, even your oppos like to, yep. you go in and say, look, I've got, I blacked out. I, I believe I've been, uh, drugged and and I, I think I've been sexually assaulted and for him to go fuck off you're lying that is like horrific yeah, and that's and it's one of it's one of those that's exactly like, what happened so I, I I can't speak uh, from experience uh, within the British military because I never heard of any sexual harassment cases per se but that's probably something that would happen over over here as well that they would be going you're you're a soldier you're an airman you're a marine what you you telling me you can't deal with yourself? He's like, hang on a minute. <laughs> I'm not saying well, that I can't. I think, <laughs> yeah, and I think for, I mean, especially for your podcast listeners, I mean, this is where the mental health aspect comes in. Oh, 100%. Right? Is because even now there's a stigma about mental health in the U.S. Yep. military. And back then, especially, if you had reported anything or anything else, you're immediately categorized and chastised you know, you're taken away from your responsibilities and your duties, and it could possibly affect your career before it even starts as a cadet. Yeah. Right. So they, they had me at the time I was going to some counseling, obviously. Um, and ironically, the counselor who I knew at the Air Force Academy at the time is someone who I still talk to today, at least once a month. Um, he's not active duty anymore. But, you know, and we'll, we'll talk about this more throughout your podcast. But yeah, yeah. he was he was the only person that was there at the time and saw in real time what my chain of yeah, yeah. Was doing to me to try to ruin my career. And he tried several times to stop them. I mean, he still to this day advocates for me in my case. Um, he's the only person who knows me on that level. Yeah. Right? Men mental, mental health is really important uh, to make sure you're taking care of yourself to make sure you're still a functioning human being because, you know, and I'm going to be honest with you hundred percent. I am not a combat veteran. I have never been deployed. Um, I've had many good experiences, between three different service branches and three different uniforms and had lots of great training opportunities, you know, so I'm not trying to advocate the fact that, you know, I'm a combat veteran or anything else. Cause I'm not, um, you know, maybe I'll get that chance in the future with the unit that I serve in, but it doesn't matter whether you've served in combat of there are, not. or not there, there are stressors in the military or things that happen to people that, you know, it's okay to just talk to somebody of course. because of course. sometimes, sometimes you just need to take care of that. Cause if you don't, it will eat you up for the rest yeah. of your life. Definitely, especially, life. and that's one of the reasons why. Yeah, hundred percent, mate. There, like combat aside, like even I've I've been trying to say this constantly on the on the podcast that it doesn't matter if you've been directly involved in combat or if you're just a trainee. You know, you're you're in high stress situations anyway. Like if you're not used to having a fucking big. Um, staff sergeant gorilla shouting in your face and you and you're not used to that at all like you're you're one of the new millennial snowflakes or something you're that's going to cause you some sort of damage 
and then you're going to, and it's like, who do you talk to? You can't talk to my trainer, come on, because they'll think I'm a pussy or whatever. Right. You know, and for me, I think the biggest disconcerting thing about it was that I've had more help from civilian authorities, including from my case and the investigative cases I've worked on, than my own chain of command. So what does it say to somebody when you join the military and you want to go fight for your country, you want to do all those good things overseas that, you know, or in the training environments that we're supposed to be doing, and the people that you are serving with don't give a shit. And they just want to, you know, see you go by the wayside, so to speak. Yeah. So it's hard that when you're, in, when you're in an environment with these people, if some of those people just straight up won't help you or listen to you. So, you know, whether that means changing units or, you know, changing your branches of service. I mean, I mean, that's what I had to do, right? I went yeah. to two different service branches from the Air Force, right? So, I mean, moving on, moving on from there, you know, I went to Marine Officer Candidate School. And I will tell you, I knew nothing about the Marines. Um, and how much more intense they were than any of the other branches yeah. of service, right? Now, the interesting thing, the interesting thing about um, my experience at, at Marine Officer Candidate School was actually we had exchange Royal Marine uh, color sergeants there. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so we had a bunch of color sergeants there who were just chewing our ass and running us into the ground. And I'm not going to lie, I didn't understand about half the things that they were saying. <laughs> you know, I think uh, the summary was, you're a bunch of fat Americans and your McDonald's run faster, you pigs, something to that effect. Right. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, for me, when I got there, you know, you have to go around and explain, you know, uh, what university you are, what your major is and what contract you have either air or ground. And for me, I had an air contract. I had taken all the aviation tests. So they get to me and they're just like, Dorito, where are you from? Uh, this, you know, this candidate is from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And they're like, where in Colorado? Colorado <laughs> University. And they're like, what university? And I'm like, United States Air Force. And the second I said Air Force, they immediately took my trunk with all my stuff in it and threw it out the door, off the deck and into the mud. <laughs> right? So most of the guys uh, that I had gone to Marine Officer Candidate School with were either prior enlisted Marines who were becoming yep. officers or Naval Reserve Officer Training Corps, right? So I was in a yeah. very unique position where who the hell is this Air Force guy uh, trying to be a Marine? So I got special attention paid to me. And like That's I nice. said, I didn't know how to march like the Marines. I didn't know how to drill like the Marines. The Marines <laughs> do everything different than the Air Force. So I had to really literally start over, right? So yeah. Immediately put me in charge of a fire team. I don't know what a fire team is. Uh, I'm in the Air Force, so I don't know anything about infantry tactics or movements or or anything like that. Uh, I immediately failed uh, because I had no idea what I was doing. They had me go meet with the uh, battalion commander at the time, who is a colonel, so way way up there in rank. And I'm scared shitless, and I sit there and he has me explain to him, you know, why do I want to be a marine? And I had told him a story. Uh, there is a Marine from my hometown, Lance Corporal Brian Perello, who lost his life uh, during the one of the initial invasions of Iraq back in 05. And he was a swift water boat company operator. And he was killed on the Euphrates River. You know, our hometown named a fire truck and a post office after this kid. And I, you know, I said, you know, I wanted to do right by Brian. I wanted to keep serving my hometown, make my hometown proud. I wanted to be a Marine. Uh, plus also those that gentleman who I had to put his face back together when we were kids, 
he was also a Marine. So he always liked to give me shit about being in the Air Force and not coming over to the men's club, so to speak. Right. So <laughs> yeah. I had to prove John, John and Tom, right. Right. So I go over and I decided I wanted to be a Marine. You know, he lets me leave and uh, I get back to the barracks at the time and they say, Dorito, you're getting kicked out of officer candidate school, pack your shit, put it in a van. You're done. And I was like, I was like, well, I guess I didn't do this whole Marine thing. Right. So they drive me, shit you not, Stephen, Sean, they drove me an hour to the airport, which like Quantico is far from, you know, Reagan international airport. Right. They get me all the way to the gate. Now keep in mind, I'm still like what, 21, 20 at the time. And uh, I have no idea what's going on. I had no plane ticket, no nothing. And <laughs> Gunnery Sarnt, Gunner Sarnt picks up his phone, turns around and goes, Dorito, they're giving you another chance. We're sending you back. And I'm like, what a total mind fuck this is. So they drive <laughs> me all the way back. And honestly, I look back on it now and I've been in contact with, with some of those instructor sergeants over the years. And they said, you know, we, you know, the whole purpose was to make you pull your head out of your ass you know, literally unlearned everything about the Air Force. And if you really wanted to be a Marine, we're going to make you earn it. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I went back and they, you know, if you fuck up, you move up in the Marine Corps, right? So they put me in charge of the entire officer candidate uh, school at the time. And uh, they're still fucking with me. From then on there, they didn't even like let me sleep. So they'd wake me up in the middle of the night. They had me low crawl in the mud of my skivvies. You know, some kid didn't lace his shoes properly. And apparently that's my fault, even though he's yeah, like several barracks fault. buildings down. That's my fault. Everything's my fault. I'm the Air Force guy. Um, you know, but by the time OCS was getting ready to, to end, you know, I'm still passing everything. I'm doing very well on my physical fitness tests. I'm doing well on my small unit leadership evaluation exams. Um, so in terms of performing the task as a Marine, I was doing very well. They were just really adamant about beating the Air Force out of me mentally. And they were very successful in doing that, I promise you. <laughs> so we get, we get close to the last week of graduation and we're standing on the parade deck on this giant asphalt tarmac and the battalion commander, the same individual who asked me why I wanted to be a Marine several weeks before gets to me and we're doing inspection arms. So I take my M16 and I go to open up the chamber and shoot my rifle up to him so he can inspect the chamber. And as I did it, my front sight post on the rifle hit the brim of his cover <laughs> launches his cover off of his head and it catches a breeze and I could just see this cover floating in the distance down to the parade deck and at this time I honestly thought I was going to get murdered on the spot so I could see my instructor sergeants the gunnery sergeant standing in the back very quietly and there's like this small tree on the end of the parade deck right and it's like the only place of shade so like all the candidates are out there standing in parade formation and this gunnery sergeant is like screaming without saying a word and like punching this tree until his hands turn bloody like pointing at me knife handing like yeah general matters like hand. i am going to kick your ass when we get back to the barracks you know <laughs> and then the colonel played it off totally cool like i was i i thought i was done right there and he turns yeah, yeah. and goes Dorito, congratulations and takes it like a champ left faces and walks off like the badass that he is like nothing even happened yeah happened right picks up his cover and carries on with his day so you know i'm not gonna lie and this is you know some of the things i've had to come to terms with over the years is that i had a really big ego after graduating marine officer candidate school going back to the air force academy to finish my final semester right um you know there was a part of me that you know at 20 whatever 21 years old i was at the time you know i honestly thought i was better than a lot of my air force counterparts and you know my commander hated the fact that i graduated ocs and wanted to be a marine so he would take every 
opportunity he could when I came back to like squash me into the ground. Right. So when I came back, there was a swine flu outbreak at the Air Force Academy. So I wasn't allowed to come back and teach cadet basic training as a senior cadre. Uh, and they also don't count Marine Officer Candidate School as a leadership course in the Air Force. So I still had to do my, of course they don't, right? So I had to do basic training as a so-called drill instructor, right, for the Air Force Academy prep school. So I get sent over to the prep school and I start um, teaching basic training while they were dealing with the swine flu outbreak before I could finish my last two semesters at the Air Force Academy. So we get over there and, you know, actually it was pretty good for them. I was in the best shape of my life at the time. I'm quite fatter now, let's be honest. But I mean, I just came back from oh, Marine Officer Candidate. Yeah, <laughs> I just came back from Marine Officer Candidate School. I was in the best shape of my life. I was Marine Corps cracked out of my mind, so I'm running everywhere, screaming at everything. You know, yeah. getting very, you know, and uh, the candidates were like, "What the hell is wrong with this kid? He doesn't stop running and getting in our face." But you no, know, by the end of basic training for them, they were in the best shape of their lives too because I had them run everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, and at the end of it, I told them my story, you know, of even sexual assault at the time as well. And I said, you know, honestly, if there's, if there's something that's going on here at the prep school, you know, and this is honestly working for the OSI people, right? OSI knew that something was going on at the prep school um, with their intercollegiate athlete program. So I told them, if there's something going on and you feel like you need to talk to somebody and you, you're too afraid to talk to your chain of command, please feel free to reach out to me during the school year, you know, we're at two different campuses at the time. So a couple months later, I'm at the uh, Air Force Academy and I get an email from, you know, some of these candidates or cadet candidates from the prep school stating that there was underage drinking, there was sexual assault, there was partying, there was drug trafficking going on. So I immediately, since I was still an undercover informant when I came back, started discussing this with OSI. Now, there's a problem with being a senior ranking cadet and a lower ranking cadet. Now, arbitrarily, in the real ranking system, it means nothing. But the way that the U.S. military categorizes it would be fraternization, which is probably somewhere yeah. in the U.K. military where you have enlisted an officer, even though as cadets, senior and junior enlisted yeah. cadets, we don't really we don't really have rank. But I guess a 22 year old apparently can have influence over an 18 yeah, yeah, year old, apparently uh, at the Air Force Academy. Right. So so we had to make it look legit. You know, how is how am I going to be able to get these investigations done at the prep school, interview these people, take down statements, write these memos, send them over to Office of Special Investigations without it looking obvious that there is a senior cadet talking to the lower ranking cadets. Right. So we came up with a CrossFit program and I was able to go over to the prep school under the certification of, under the guise of I was training these kids in CrossFit when really I just have them run around in circles and do pushups while I'm talking to each one of them individually. Pretty much CrossFit anyway, isn't it? Yeah, CrossFit or CrossFit fuck off, right? So, or cross fuck off. So, um, so I'm over there taking all my statements and I start finding out names. I start finding out, you know, uh, who's bringing in the alcohol, where they're getting hotel rooms in Denver, where they're going to these parties. So having a CrossFit program at the prep school was a great way to gather information for the yeah, office yeah. of special investigations. Now, a lot of people also ask, well, why wasn't OSI just doing these things on their own? You know, I mean, they're federal law enforcement agents. Well, it's much easier for a cadet informant to gather this information from cadets yeah, yeah. than it would be for some guy in a suit and a badge walking yeah, around. Yeah, definitely. Right? And it's the same with so, like, civilian cases as well. They don't just, that, that's why they have like informants and, and people that bed in and, and things like that. You get, you, as we would say, yeah. you get the gen pretty quick. You get all the information because they trust the person that they're talking to, really. 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. These cadet candidates trust me. A lot of the cadets in my squadron at the time also trusted me. And that's how I was able to get so much information. And at the time, I honestly believed the things that I was doing was for the greater good. You don't yeah. want these types of people becoming officers. Of course these are the people that are going to be, you know, but years down the road, I realized I was completely taking advantage of. Um, I had no backing from these people and we're going to, we're going to move on to that story now. Right. So yeah, yeah. Go for it. I, yeah. So I get a phone call uh, later in the year and it's from one of those cadets. Right. And she had told me she had gotten raped. She didn't trust her chain of command. She was crying. She was drunk. She didn't know what to do. And she knew that she was going to get in trouble if she called anybody. So she called me and asked her to get her out of that situation. So I had gone up to Denver, Colorado. I had picked her up. I had gotten her a sexual assault victim advocate. I got her, you know, uh, a unrestricted report filed at the time against her perpetrator because her chain of command wasn't taking care of her in her situation. Right. Yeah. At this time is now when rumors started flying around that cadet Dorita was talking to these cadet candidates. Right. So I was proposed by my commander at the time. You're under investigation for fraternization. And now yeah. we're, only a, we're only a few months out from graduation. And my OSI handlers or Office of Special Investigations handlers, uh, Agent Mike Munson and Agent Dave Szymanski, were highly supportive of everything that we were doing. And they even wrote letters trying for my uh, fraternization hearings saying that he's worked for us. He's been very helpful. You know, he may not be a perfect cadet. But at the end of the day, he deserves to graduate and everything else. Yeah. Well, my, com my commander didn't care. They did whatever they could to try to crush me. So there was a particular candidate that we were investigating at the time, and she was in an inappropriate relationship with a senior enlisted member. She was also caught cheating on exams. She was involved in a lot of things that would have yeah, gotten yeah. her kicked out of the academy. So this specific officer... Uh, he's a lieutenant colonel vice commander at the Air Force Academy Prep School. He finally found out about all the investigations that I had been taking information on at his preparatory school. So he had brought in with his sponsor cadet at the time, who is a cadet that you know he engages with on off-duty hours as a mentor. Um, he had gotten a lot of these candidates to say the same story that I was fraternizing with this one specific individual. And that allowed attention to be deferred away from like the 30 or so investigations yeah. going at the prep school. And now all the focus was focused on Cadet Dorito, who is a Marine who doesn't want to be in the Air Force anymore. Right. So forget about the, the rapes, the sexual assault. The yeah, drug yeah forget about that. that. That's shit's not important. We're, we're, <laughs> we're now just going to put all of our focus and all of our efforts on Cadet Dorito. And we're going to make everything else go away because what's easier, getting one guy out yeah, or exactly. getting 30 people out? Right. Yeah. And this is, this is the close tie that I mentioned on uh, your brother's podcast as well, that I didn't get to mention on Andy's podcast. Many of the people that we were investigating at the time were part of the intercollegiate sports teams and the recruiting teams or the recruiting process. Yeah. Now this is where it gets finicky, right? I love the Air Force Academy. Don't get me wrong. I went to my dream school. I got to do the things that I wanted to do ever since I was a kid. Never in my life did I ever try to go to a military academy under the assumption that I was going to go play on a professional sports team. Yeah, you know, yeah, my, yeah. Goal, my goal was I was going to go serve my country for my five-year mandatory service, right? Um, but, you know, the Air Force Academy is listed as a Division I school. And in the United States, the 
the NCAA that runs Division One sports programs. It's a highly profitable business model. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah. Yeah. So the only way you're going to be able to attract great athletes to the Air Force Academy or other military academies is to provide them some kind of incentive to yeah. want to come to a military academy versus want to go to another Division One school, such as you know Texas A&M or Louisiana State University. You know, if I'm a great football player coming out of high school, why would I want to go to a military academy and have to serve five years yeah, of military yeah. service when You're I can like, go any to a chance bigger... to give me some special deal here? Exactly right. So they, you know, unfortunately, a lot of these great athletes from around the country are told that if you go to the military academy, you have a chance of playing professional sports and you know pushing away your service obligation. So yeah, you, have a you have a dichotomy of belief at the military academies, unfortunately, where there is kind of intercollegiate athletes uh, versus the other cadets at the academy in some aspects, right? And nothing against them. I mean, I know a lot of intercollegiate athletes from the Air Force Academy who are amazing officers who have done great things, uh, who didn't play professional sports. They just played sports at the academies and moved on in their military careers, right? But specifically, some of the people that I was investigating at the time, they were very good football players. Uh, yeah. they, they were highlighted to help win conference games for the Air Force Academy football team, make ticket sales, so to speak. Yeah. So is it easier to get rid of Cadet Dorito, who's going into the Marine Corps and getting out of the Air Force anyway? Or do we want to get rid of our potential new all-star running back yeah. for the yeah, football exactly. team who's going to make – exactly. So, you know, this is where you follow the money and you follow the reasons. Because a lot of people ask – in, uh, in these podcasts or these interviews that I've been doing is, you know, why would the Air Force Academy spend so much time and money and focus on one person? The military is a machine. There's always someone willing to come and take your spot, right? Yeah. So it's more important to cover up the sexual assaults to make sure that the intercollegiate athlete programs are still prosperous and that they're recruiting great athletes for their programs yeah, yeah. and to get rid, right? And to cover up those numbers. So I was accused of fraternization at the end of this. I had no way to prove that I hadn't done it because I had no alibis because it never happened. So I get a knock on my door. I get called down to OSI. I go meet with my agents. I was in there in this, in this room for 11 hours, right? Now, normally it's these interrogations, which I didn't know at the time was an interrogation. Yeah, yeah. They buy me dinner. I write all my statements out. I provide all the evidence from the investigations I had been doing with all these people. And, you know, at the end of the night, it's like 10, 11 p.m. at this point. I'd gotten there at 1600, right? They go, well, your statements are good and everything else makes sense, but you forgot to mention the part where you had sex with this specific cadet candidate. And I said, well, I didn't. And that's why I didn't say that in my statement. They're like, well, we have five statements from these people saying that you did and you have no way of proving that you didn't. So if you just admit that you did this, um, and this is where the, the universe, uh, Universal Code of Military Justice comes in, our Uniform yeah. Code of Military Justice comes in, right? So in the UCMJ, in the U.S. military, there's something called an Article 15. And an, Art and an Article 15 is non-judicial punishment, which means you can accept non-judicial punishment in lieu of going to court-martial, where if you get convicted in court-martial, it's considered a felony or whatever else, yeah. right? Now, at the time, I was not provided a lawyer, I was not read my rights. I had no idea what was going on. And they told me that if I had just admitted to fraternization, accepted non-judicial punishment, and did not go to court-martial, that I would be allowed to graduate 30 days later than my class yeah. and move on with my life and go to the Marine Corps. So when you're only a few weeks out from graduation, of course you're going to take that. You're going to take yeah, that yeah. door. Now, I didn't know any better. 
I never should have done that. I should have went to trial by court-martial because they had no evidence to prove anything. But when you're 22 years old now, getting ready for graduation, you're yeah, just going to do what you're told. Your right? mind's elsewhere. You want to do as you're told, get it done. And most people have criticized me saying, I would have never signed that document. I would have demanded a lawyer. But I ensure you, unless you've been in an interrogation room for 11 to 12 hours yeah, and exactly. – you have no idea what's going on. You're completely disoriented. You're tired. You're hungry. And you just will do whatever it takes to get out of that interrogation room. You're going to do what your handlers or your interrogators tell you what to do. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I fall, I false confessed believing that it was in my best interest with no legal representation. And it was probably one of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life. But I can say that 10 years later, knowing how the legal system works now. (laughs) Right. So now you understand how it goes. Yep. Slightly different in it when when you're that young, you're like, yeah, can I can I can I go? Well, you can go if you admit to this. Exactly right, okay. and so, but at the end of the day, it was still non-judicial punishment. So my commander at the time is still trying to prove, and I didn't find this really out until years later. But they now know about the investigations that I had been doing at the academy. A lot of things are coming out now. Cadet Dorito yeah. is an undercover informant. Cadet Dorito has all these you know leads and all these investigations. And all these people are implicated in these crimes of rape and sexual assault. They have to make these go away because these kids are still supposed to be playing in their in their respective yeah, sports, right? Yeah. So my commander comes up with the idea. He's going to try to prove that I am crazy. So he tells me that I need to go for a psychological evaluation. And if I refuse to do it voluntarily, that I will be forced to do a command-directed review board. So... I talked to my counselor at the time who dealt with my sexual assault. And I said, if I go and take this test and I pass, will they leave me alone? He said, yeah, absolutely. So I go to take this test and it's with a lower enlisted person. It's only on a computer. I met with no no one else. I was sat in a room on a computer. I take this test. The results come back and they're negative. Nope. You have no psychological conditions. So now my commander is pretty pissed because now he tried to prove me crazy. The tests still come back negative and there's nothing that they can do about it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, never met with a doctor, never did any of those things. Like I said, I only did a computer test that came out negative and my yeah. commander was directed to leave me alone and stop harassing me, which he did not. So graduation comes and they allow me to march in the, uh, the graduation parade, which is the day before or like the formation parade with the cadet yeah. wing and graduation day was the next day. So my family's out there, you know, I'm like, well, I finished all my classes. I completed my degree. I'm like, there is no way in hell that they would let me go this long and still not have me graduate. Right. So my commander comes up to me the following day and says, you're not going to march on your final parade. You're not going to graduate today. You're going to be given a 30 day late grad. Okay. So they make me change out of my uniform in front of my whole family, which is massively embarrassing. Yeah, of course it is. Yep. Uh, you spend four years there and everything's being taken away from you in less than four seconds. Right. Yeah. So, so I deal with that. And over this, I had 30 days uh, period I had to serve um, and late grad status. So during that 30 days, one of my fellow Marines who was also on a hold status waiting for his orders to go to the basic school, um, which we were supposed to go to together. He was also hanging out with me and we were assigned to build a gazebo at the time at the <laughs> airfield. So so we build the gazebo at the airfield waiting for the, the general to make his final decision. 
Uh, during that time, I was completely harassed. I was pulled over by Air Force security forces. My vehicle was searched all the time. My commander labeled me as a hazard, even though I had never shown any of these things. I had never been arrested. I don't have a police record. I have nothing. Yeah. The, the man is just doing it to literally try to drive me crazy, right? So yeah, yeah. Thir 30 days comes along and my commander basically tells me to, you know, go to the, his, the superintendent's office. He's going to give you your final, your final say. Uh, superintendent says, did you learn your lesson? I said, yes. He said, all right, get out of my office. I left his office. 20 minutes later, they say, you are being forcefully discharged. You have four hours to leave base. Fuck you, are ba you are banned from base for seven years and you have to repay the U.S. government for the degree that we're not going to award you now over $200,000. So Shit. the U.S. military instantaneously financially crushes me. They take away a degree that I have earned. I completed all those things. And on top of that, they're not allowing me to serve my five years mandatory service. And since they won't allow me to serve my five years mandatory service, they're going to require me to pay back my degree that they refuse to give me. Motherfuckers. Monetarily. So interesting thing about my discharge paperwork. And I've only discovered these things through many of my friends who were captains and yeah. higher ranking officers in the military now because we're all old old fucks now right so they go there there's no way that the u.s military can kick you off base and kick you out of the military in four hours it's no, not a thing no no they you have to, they have to <laughs> yeah they have to give you a final medical evaluation yeah they have to give you a final dental evaluation they have to give you a transition class you know there are people in the u.s military who are convicted pedophiles that had more time to out process of the military than i did Right. So, so um, the interesting thing about my discharge paperwork is that I was never given it when I left base. I was never handed my medical records. I was never handed my military service records, my awards, any of those things, or my discharge paperwork, which in the U.S. military is known as a DD-214. I was mailed a DD-214 six months later, and the date listed on that is, uh, so I was discharged on June 26, 2010 four years to the date that I had in process to the yeah. Air Force. My discharge paperwork shows military fiscal year 14, October, 2010. And it also is not signed by me. And an interesting annotation on that is that my discharge authority is secretarial authority. By secretarial authority, that's the secretary of the Air Force, which is also under the chief of staff of the Air Force, yeah, yeah. who is the highest ranking Air Force general, right? Interesting thing about him is that Norman Schwartz, who was the chief of staff of the Air Force at the time, was classmates with Lieutenant General Gould, who was the superintendent of the Air yeah, Force Academy at the time. Right, so good you old can boys see that. Club. Good old boys club, exactly. Um, and this is where it gets complicated because who is going to believe a three-star general and who's over me? You know what I mean? They're obviously they're going to believe the three-star over me, right? Yeah, standard. <laughs> standard. That's why he's got those three stars. Yeah, so I, I didn't have a chance in hell, right? So I did my first appeal. It was denied by the chief of staff of the Air Force and the secretary of the Air Force. So my discharge paperwork is a general discharge under honorable conditions. That's not a bad discharge, it's an uh, administrative discharge. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. much saying you're going to get this discharge under honorable conditions and you're just not eligible for veteran benefits. 
Okay, fine. But they also list my reenlistment code is 4RE. Now 4RE in the US military basically states that you did nothing bad, but you can never serve in the US military again, because they know if I serve in the US military, then I'm gonna pay back my debt monetarily and I don't have to pay anything back. So they're trying to prevent me. They're just trying to financially ruin me, right? That's, that's yeah. their strategy is the way we can shut these people up is to financially ruin them. Now, I thought that that was their only intention. I thought that they accused me of fraternization with no evidence. I falsely confessed. I was coerced to working for this undercover unit that I never should have worked for in the first place. And a lot of that's he said, she said, right? This yeah, has been yeah. 10 years. You know, it's very hard to prove a lot of those things, even though I have the timelines, I have the documents for my investigations. The initial person uh, who I can 100% prove was involved in the investigations, which people can look up. His name is Jamil Cooks. He was convicted of sexual assault uh, two years after I did my initial report by another undercover informant who took over my work, Eric Thomas. So Eric Thomas was an Air Force undercover informant as well, and he took yep. over my work after I left the Air Force Academy. Mr. Thomas also uh, did similar reports. So Jamil Cooks initially raped this individual at the Air Force Academy. I had reported him. The Air Force Academy put it off to the side. Subsequently, the only reason he got caught is because he raped more women, and one of those happened to be a civilian, and she reported it to the civilian authorities. Yeah. That person was apprehended by civilian authorities. Jurisdiction was given back to the Air Force. He was convicted in court-martial of rape and sexual assault, and he was only given a sentence of 90 days time served and it was considered served awaiting trial. So this individual, which you can see, I've posted on my Instagram from uh, some other people who have helped me gather this evidence. This individual was dishonorably discharged for sexual assault and rape in the US military. He immediately left, went to another university, played division one football and continued on with his life and had a very successful athletic career afterwards. If he had stayed and was prosecuted on the civilian side and the military never gave up jurisdiction, he would probably still be in prison. Yeah, yeah. so he fucking Like I be. said, that's the disconnect uh, between the civilian uh, legal system and the US military system. And it just shows that the, the Air Force Academy will do whatever it takes to protect the institution. Yeah, and it's, yeah. Name, it's, and it's, it's as though that they're getting, they've got these cash cows that elite athletes going through their university and they're like, well, they're bringing in the cash. Exactly. And it's, uh, you know, we'll, we'll the protect these you know, guys, even if they're raping and, and sexual assaulting all these females and males. Um, right. But, exactly. And, and, and that's concerning. Is and because, then it, it, it's um, so that you, you, it seems like you've stepped on the hornet's nest as it were like, Oh yeah. yeah. You, you've, you've, that, that's, you've angered this hornet's nest and they've gone, well, we need to get this motherfucker out because he's making Which, up more trouble than it than it's worth it's like whoa hang on a minute so right. you'd rather get so rid of a guy that's discovered all this important information you and you just, it's just fucking it's bizarre well it gets well it gets worse sean and i'm sure you were uh, you're aware about where this is going to go next so oh yeah so i had over 30 reports of these people right individuals yeah out of the 30 people that i investigated for rape and sexual assault or other misgivings at the academy 28 of them are still serving as officers in the U.S. military today, right? That's concerning, okay? Because these are the people. Hella concerned. These are the people 
these are the people that are leading men and women in Afghanistan and Iraq for U.S. Exactly. forces, so to speak, right? These yeah. are the people flying the jets and driving the boats and all those other things. So it is concerning, although we do have a lot of great leaders in the U.S. military, there are a few people within the ranks that probably shouldn't be there that oh, stated the system because of my like experiences I had at the Air Force Academy, right? Yeah. Now, why weren't the rest of these people convicted and why weren't these things brought to trial? Well, we'll find out about how that works out very momentarily. So I find <laughs> a loophole to get back into the U.S. military. And how that happened was there is something called the National Guard in the U.S. in the U.S. military. Now, the National Guard is mostly controlled by the states, but it is still a division of the Army and the Air Force. It's a branch within, right? So my DD-214, my discharge paperwork, was signed with secretarial authority, which means the only way I was going to get that paperwork overridden was if the Secretary of Defense or the President of the United States allowed me to reenlist. That's probably not going to happen because I'm a nobody and I'm not important, right? However, since the Colorado governor is considered the commander in chief of the Colorado National Guard, yeah. I was able to get a federal paperwork discharge override. And nice. there, was three, there was three conditions that I had to meet to do that. One was I had to serve in a specialized unit in the, in the United States Army. I had to pick a mission critical MOS. And I had to agree to go in as enlisted and not have my commission status at the time. And I had to recomplete basic training to basically prove to the army that everything that the air force said about me was wrong. <laughs> so at what, 27, 28 years old, I reenlist into the United States army. I go in as a specialist, which is an E4, which yeah. is right below an NCO with a master's degree and a second undergrad completed at this time. Right. And I had been, Working in the energy industry, uh, which is the only way I've been able to afford all my legal fees at the time yeah. with, with my team, right? So working in oil and gas had provided me the means to hire a competent legal team. Getting back into the military was part of that legal strategy was to prove the U.S. Air Force wrong. Mm -hmm. So I get back in. Uh, I end up getting assigned to uh, the United States Army Special Operations Command as a parachute rigger, uh, which is great. You know, like I said, uh, I, I'm not a special or significant person in the U.S. Army, but I do get to work in a forward support company that gets to support uh, a really interesting mission, and I get to still jump out of planes. So that's actually kind of fun, um, packing parachutes as a rigger in that unit. So after about two years in my unit, um, I'm, I was given the opportunity to go back and fly as a chief warrant officer, direct commission. So I go and fill out the paperwork. I pass all my flight tests. I go do my final med board and I get to the final station and the doctor says, I'm sorry, soldier, I can't sign off on your orders to report to flight training because there are several psychological conditions listed on your medical report from the United States Air Force Academy. Now, this is the weird thing about this, Sean, is that I had gone re entered the military through the military entrancing entrance processing station or MEPS as we call yeah. it in the U S yeah, yeah. I am serving in this specialized unit with a security clearance. None of these things ever came up when I processed back into the army and they 100% yeah, would have been, been a caught. flag straight away. Well, interestingly enough, <laughs> you know, and they are, but interestingly enough, why are they showing up only when I applied to be a pilot? and get my commission back two years after I had already been serving in the army. And they only show up on the air force side. That's very concerning. Yeah. So we find out that the air force Academy had put these psychological conditions in my medical report in 2011. 
well, that's odd. Well, let's review the timeline again. I was discharged in June 26, 2010. My separation paperwork shows that in fiscal year, still says October 14th, 2010. Yeah. Which means I should have been given my medical records upon discharge, which I never was. Yeah, you could have done. Yeah. Now, weird is that in June, uh, I believe 15th of 2011, a doctor who I'd never met at a base that I had never been assigned to, Fort Carson, Colorado, put these diagnoses in my medical record when I was a civilian. That's fucking. How is that possible, right? That should not happen, and that never should be allowed. Uh, in the U.S., that's what we call a felony. You cannot, you cannot falsify or modify somebody's medical records. Never mind, uh, there was no tests. There was yeah, no yeah. results. There was no meeting notes. No nothing. Just picked fucking Now, we can speculate. Nilly, put them on your file. Now, going back to what my commander's strategy was, um, if you look at some of the notes from these things, it was all just a narrative from my commander. You know, um, we requested a copy of all the records and they refused to provide them to us. You know, we were initial given the initial paperwork, but we wanted to see like in depth, what are these records saying? You know, I'm in the army now. The army has complete control of me. The air force does not own me anymore. Ah. You know, why are they adding things to my medical record to prevent me from commissioning and flying? So in 2017, we file a federal lawsuit against the United States Air Force Academy demanding that my records be changed and that by be reinstated as an officer and then my degree be reinstated as well. Obviously I'd proved them wrong. I had been serving in the military at this time. Um, everything in the army says basically everything that happened in the air force, you know, was not provable. Yeah, yeah. Not, I made my mistakes as a younger person, but you know, obviously I, I, I righted the boat. I righted the ship, so to speak. Right. The air force refuses to comply and they refuse to do any of these things. They refuse to correct the record. Uh, we actually served this doctor who I have no idea who she was, but her name is Dr. Kristen Nicole Henley Price, who we had to use a private investigator to have her served at her house by the sheriff's department, saying that she was under you know investigation for all of these things. We also come to find out that at the time she did not have a medical license to practice in the state of Colorado when she made Fucking these diagnoses. Hell. Um, and, and there's some, and there's some other things to that in the military, you can have a license in a different state and still practice yeah. in a different state. Um, however, we have not been able to find any evidence as of yet of those things. She very well could have been licensed in say a different state in the United States. Uh, but we do know for a fact that she did not have a Colorado, Colorado medical license to practice in the state that she was in at the time. Um, uh, but regardless, regardless, even if she did have a medical license, so to speak, uh, she did falsify the records when I was a civilian and the military should have no control over civilians at any time. Ever. No, no, no. Definitely, there is a separation not. of powers for a reason. Um, recently, a few months ago in 2020, before I decided to go more public with my case, we got, we heard back from the federal court system from chief justice Bremer and the 10th district court. And this is where it kind of gets odd is that, they agreed that the evidence is, is substantial and everything else, but they stated that since there is no law in the US military that states that they can't falsify one's medical records as a civilian, that they will refuse to make a ruling at this time. So there was no ruling given in my case and they just pushed it off the cart and kicked the can down the road. And 
they ruled without prejudice. And in the US court system, that means that we are allowed to appeal, which means that the evidence we have is substantial enough that we're allowed to appeal. Now, if everyone, if we couldn't prove what we were saying, they would have ruled with prejudice and we would not have been able to uh, reappeal in our case. Yeah. Uh, that, is not, that is not the fact in, in this. So we were mandated to go to mediation with the Air Force and the Air Force Academy. And even the magistrate, the federal magistrate, sits down and they go, you know, Mr. Dorito and his legal team have substantial evidence that you did in fact falsify his records. We would like to keep this out of the federal court system. You know, what are your settlement points? And like I said, I have never asked for anything other than what I've earned. And that is my degree and my commission and to take the debt off my credit report and to continue to allow me to serve in, you know, in an officer capacity in the U.S. military yeah. by taking those medical conditions off my record. After four hours of negotiations, um, the Air Force refused to do anything. They are really uh, sticking it in the mud and they are trying to you know, take it to the mat. That they're, they're like, well, we know we're wrong, but we're just going to take our chances. And this is yeah, their yeah. legal strategy. Their strategy is to simply run me out of money, to lose my support base, to simply say that I was a bad cadet and a bad person, uh, when all of those things were obviously disprovable. Yeah, yeah. No, I've been serving my country now for almost six years in the National Guard, you know, four years as a cadet, and I completed Marine Officer Candidate School. You know, I've had a successful civilian career in the oil and gas industry. Um, I completed another undergrad and a master's degree in the same time. And, and, and over the years, I found <laughs> out that I am not the only one who's had their medical records falsified for reporting sexual assault. Um, and this is the scariest part is that you know, why is the U.S. military, and in my case, the Air Force Academy, why are they changing people's medical records who are reporting sexual assault, right? So we brought these issues up to the Air Force Records Review Panel again, and, we, and they even came back. And an Air Force-affiliated doctor admitted that I was wrongfully diagnosed with these several psychological conditions and that the Air Force should remove them from my record. The yeah. Air Force ref refuses to do it. So even their own internal psychologists yeah. <laughs> who are reevaluating my record are saying this doctor screwed up, falsified his records and they need to be corrected and they won't do it because they know if they do it, it's going to open up a can of worms. It's going to be a big right? can of worms. And, and, I, and so the second question I have is why did the air force change my medical records a year after I was discharged? And does this mean that they can do this to any veteran? You know, can a service component in the U S military, change them without notifying that individual or the veterans uh, um, administration. And because the whole point of being a doctor is first do no harm. So yeah, why yeah. are doctors falsifying medical records, especially mine as a civilian that has detrimental career effects and everything else like it's had in my life. You yeah, know, because you could, according to chief you, justice, you could, Brother, go, you could go for another job with, with yep. military aside like you could go for another job say you get offered another job with a gas and oil company and they go right can we check your medical records oh you says here you've got psychological issues you ain't getting the job and it's like oh fuck right exactly so because according to chief justice bremer uh the military can change your records because there's no policy stating that they can't Mental. as of yet so you know, the, the, the hardest question we need to ask, and I mean, this goes for your, your listeners as well. I mean, yeah. feel free to criticize the U.S. I mean, you guys started this whole thing over here anyway, right? Yeah, it's our fault. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> who is, who is going to hold the military and the executive branch in the U.S. government accountable? 
because according to the motion to dismiss as it stands, the military has no civilian oversight and they can do whatever they want. So what is going to provide the incentive for anyone to want to serve their country if they know that if, sure, you want to go serve your country, you want to go fight a war, that's the whole purpose of joining the military, okay. But now something bad happens to you. You now have no recourse, there's nothing you can do. And if you, let's say you do seek psychological help or mental health counseling, and now it's going to be used against you to destroy your career. And in my case, I wasn't even diagnosed with any mental health issues, nor did I see a counselor for any mental health diagnoses that I received because I didn't, and it's still being used against me. And this is the stigma about mental health that we need to really focus on, Sean, is that mental health should not be used as a weapon against members who are serving in the military because what is ever going to prevent them from wanting to serve the country for the right reasons? If if you're going to throw anyone that's got any sort of mental health issues under the bus, it's going to completely ruin like your recruitment campaigns and, and everything because everyone's going to go well what if i end up with ptsd or something like that you're just going to get rid of me just and not help I'm, well i'll tell you what i'm not going to join up exactly you know exactly so like i said what kind of people is that going to invite to join the military it's not going to be the people who have moral conscience it's not going to be the people who want to do the right thing and serve for the right reasons. It's going to be people who know they can undermine the system. Um, and that's dangerous because, you know, as you know, the UK and the US have a big international presence in international affairs and multiple conflicts and wars and situations around the world. So if we can't uphold that reputation internationally, knowing that we're undermining our, ourselves and our, our own forces within our own ranks, you know, how effective are we going to be overseas in any of those operations or even on a domestic scale for, you know, things like COVID-19, right? We don't just do yeah, military yeah. operations abroad. We do them, you know, locally to help populations and, you know, yeah. pandemics and everything else as well. Well, definitely. Well, at, before before we had um, this pandemic, we had a, a massive th- flood outbreak in the north of England and the, sort of the west of England. And the military is like straight away deployed to go and deal with it, help, help the, the, the civvies out, getting out their houses, putting up sandbags and all that sort of thing. So it's like, if you're going to throw everybody under the bus, that's got some sort of issue or has spoken to their chain of command about an issue and you're just going to cut their legs from under them, you're not going to have anyone, you're not going to have anyone to do the jobs. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty simple. And it's like, right. you'd like, you'd like to think that you had the backing of your chain of command. That's, that's why you have a chain of command. If you've got a problem, issue, drama, it's like when we went through basic training, it's always, it was always, if you've got a drama issue or, or problem, come, come and speak to us and we'll, we'll get it sorted. You right. don't expect exactly. to go and go and speak to them and then they go, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to just get rid of you. <laughs> Yeah. We're just going to get all that information that you've got on these 30 plus people that have done worse things than you, than you. We're going to keep them because, because they're the cash cow. You, you're replaceable. We'll get rid of you. But what yeah. they haven't. And I'm glad I was, uh, I'm glad I was able to explain that in a way that you were able to sum that up in about four seconds, because I mean, that's really the root, root of the case. Yeah. Right. I mean, um, and, I've got a lot of criticism about, you know, I would never have admitted, I would have never done this, I would have never worked for OSI. And you're right. I mean, honestly, um, if I had never worked for OSI, none of this ever would have happened, yeah, you know, yeah. but 
I was lying. Well, to you were you were recruited to to do the job without really understanding what understand what, what was going on. Effects, and right? yeah, it's it's fucking bizarre. And I can I can sort of speak from a um from a little bit of knowledge on this sort of um, when I was out in Bastion. So uh, Camp Leatherneck, as you guys would have called it um, mm-hmm. in Helmand province, we were always told um, if you're going out at night, go out in pairs like this is on the camp, that sort of thing where your day glow fucking belt and all that sort of thing. The reason why they brought that out was a female, I believe she was a female Marine got her legs broken, thrown in the back of a van and raped on camp by other Marines. And that's, that, that, that's all we heard about was that, that part of the story. It may, may have been embellished slightly through word of mouth, but Chinese whispers, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, since, since that happened, there was like a, a few cases of rape and sexual assault, sexual harassment and things like that. We were always told, even us Brits, like you make sure that you go in pairs or you go out in uh, like a fire team, <laughs> go out in your fours, don't don't walk anywhere on your own. That sort of thing. It's like, well, oh, fucking hell, I'm supposed to be on a camp in a war zone. I shouldn't be scared to walk around in the safe place, as it were. And it's right. just, and it's like. Did did they ever catch those people? Did did that bit get swept under the carpet? Did what happened to the to the 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 marine that it happened to that sort of thing? It's it's crazy. Right, exactly. I mean, these people have rights, you know. Uh, and it seems as if the people who are swearing to defend to protect to protect and defend those constitutional rights, so to speak, mm. are not being allowed to experience those rights themselves. You know, like you and I both took an oath in our respective countries to protect the people and protect the constitution and, you know, whatever other legal entities that they're entitled to. And now, especially like in my case, I'm having my medical records falsified. That's my right to privacy. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm having my, my right to self-incrimination and my right to due process all violated. So now apparently, according to our federal court system is you as a member of the military, even though you defend those rights are not entitled to those rights yourselves. Mm. You know, because it's black and white, Sean, we can, we can throw out everything in my case. Forget about all the mistakes I made when I was a cadet, like yeah. I said. Forget about even my sexual assault. Forget about all these investigations with the Office of Special Investigations. What it comes down to is three clear pieces of evidence that are black and white and irrefutable. One, my discharge paperwork says I was discharged in 2010. Two, my medical records were falsified by a doctor that I have no idea who she is when I was a civilian in 2011. And three, at the time, she did not have a medical license to practice in the state that I resided in. Um, these are irrefutable facts. And yeah, yeah. They're, there's, there's, they're black and white. We can prove it. And on top of that, do you know what, was, you know what rank I am listed in on my paperwork at the bottom of my current medical records from the Air Force as it stands? No, I, am list, I am listed as a major. So apparently... I was never properly discharged and I had been in the system the entire time. And I, you know, so I guess I'm owed some back pay or something, I guess, for the Congratulations. past years of my so. life. Yeah, that's what I say. <laughs> but, 
but it just it just shows the the relative massive incompetence of what's been going on. You know, they had no problem kicking me out in four hours, yet they can't correct the records properly. Um, yeah, they never yeah, properly they, discharged they, me, and none of these people are being held accountable for what they did as of yet. And yeah. I would encourage, you know, I would encourage your listeners to help in your case. I mean, just because, and whether you have listeners in the U.S. or the U.K., it doesn't matter. Um, the U.S. judicial system is under heavy criticism right now and yeah, making cool. some, you know, Supreme Court decisions. So I would encourage a lot of your uh, listeners to either go to www.adamdorito.com, D-E-R-I-T-O, visit the website. You can review the evidence there yourself. You can review my criminal background check. <laughs> Everything is posted <laughs> online. Everything's yeah. public information. I'm an open book. You yeah, can yeah, follow I'll, me. I'll on, stick that out on the, uh, on, on, on the, on my, yep. you on can my follow me on Twitter well, at so. Adam Dorito. Yeah. But yeah, and follow me on Instagram too. We're posting things about the case. You know, we're constantly getting new information dumped in because now some people are starting to talk and yeah, some yeah. of the people that we're trying to investigate are now shutting up. Um, so we would encourage everyone to go visit our yeah, social yeah. media pages uh, and, and, and you, please write yeah. our Congress people, write our U.S. court systems. Yeah. Every you're, piece of contact information is there. As soon as, obviously you've been on, um, on Andy Stump's uh, podcast as well and he's, he's mm -hmm. quite a big name within the... the u.s military from what i've seen from his show um mm -hmm. so all, all the all your story is going to do is gain more and more traction and that is what we need is is to get your story out there it's it's as though you're living a movie it's almost yeah, as crazy as fucking tiger king listening yeah, to your story like listen king. to your story <laughs> you're like there's no way this can't be real and you, but, and you know what? Here's this, here's a scary thing about this, Sean, is that I'm not the only one that this has happened to. Like I've said, there are exactly. people that I know who have reported sexual assault, who've had their medical records changed and have had their lives ruined. And I'm very fortunate and I am very blessed because the only reason I've been able to fight this is because of my civilian employment and my determination to finish my higher education to provide me the income that I've been able to pay my legal fees with. Yeah, so basically yeah. if you're a veteran in the U S military and you had your medical records falsified, you're up shit's Creek without a paddle yeah, because definitely. there is nothing you can do to fight for your own justice and vindication because you simply can't afford it. Fucking mental. That's it. Mental. But hopefully like the more your story is read out over, over there and over here and, and all over the fucking world, hopefully the, the more, the veterans, other veterans that it's happened to and the other serving members of the uh, Air Force Cadet University School, whatever you want to call it, and the other mm -hmm. universities within there, hopefully they go, oh, we've got a voice here. If I go and talk to Adam, I can get my story out. Of here. He'll talk about my story as well. And then it will just keep building and building. That, I'm sure that's, yeah. that's sort of what you're hoping for is exactly explosion um, of of people coming out of the woodwork to, and it, the more it will do it, it will just show the corruptness of, of certain parts of the uh, military. Yeah. I'm hoping that if you have a similar story to mine, or you've had your medical records falsified for reporting sexual assault, I mean, you can look up Dorito versus USA on Facebook. That's our Facebook page with all our contact information on there. Please reach out to us and tell us your story because the more people that come forward with this situation that has happened to them, the more people in Congress and our judicial system are going to listen. Like I said, no one cares about Adam Dorito, but I'm pretty sure people are going to care that, you know, the effectiveness of our military, our military academies, and our constitutional rights that aren't being upheld to its own military exactly. service members. 
that's going to gain more traction. And whether it's from the UK or anywhere around the world who listens to your podcast, um, it doesn't matter. The more people that understand the story, the better. Um, you know, like you mentioned, Andy's podcast, if, if you guys want to hear, you know, a little bit more in depth about, you know, some of the funnier stories, you know, I, I encourage you to listen to Andy Stump's podcast, episode number 137 that I was featured on. Um, it's the same exact story I told you on here on Sean's podcast, but, uh, you know, there's also a YouTube video of it as well. So, I mean, like I said, we just need to spread this story and tell the world what's going on Definitely. and hopefully get more people to speak out. Uh, so justice is, is finally sought. It, it needs to be done. It definitely needs to be done, mate. hundred percent. Like they can't, like I said, it's like, it's like a TV series or, or a movie that but you're living it. Unfortunately. Yes. Unfortunately. And, no resolution yeah. yet. and, and what's crazy is like, you're still serving as well. Like, yeah, I'm still wearing the uniform and jumping out of planes. And now that I'm getting older, it hurts more. But yeah, you know, of course it whatever. does. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think, especially with, with the US, it's slightly different over here. Like, yes, we, we love our military over here, but over, over, over in the States, it seems like you guys celebrate the military as, as all Americans do. You do it on a bigger scale. Um, a little bit just, just yeah just, just a smudging smidgen um it's like everything's like texas over here right yeah that's what that's what we texas think is pretty here. much its own country that's what, that's what we <laughs> as well, so. so so it's it's like as soon as they the average average joe over over there and as i like to say karen now as karen and average <laughs> joe are um gonna start hearing this story because because you guys are so passionate about your military and finding out that these sexual assault cases are just being swept under the carpet they're going to be like what the fuck is happening with my military you guys are supposed yeah, to that's be the problem protecting our country i mean you know and uh, i think like i've mentioned before on you know to different people is that there's a lot of great officers that serve in the u.s military but a lot of them realize that by the time they reach the rank of captain or you know their 10-year service mark that for some it's time to get out because they were they realize that they're worth more in the civilian world right so they go on yeah. and pursue excellent civilian careers after their honorable service time and don't get me wrong there are still some people who serve at those higher ranks who are great officers but for the majority you know a lot of people that serve in those higher ranks who who's left after all the really good guys leave who really take care of their troops yeah, you got those scumbag assholes it's the the yes men it's the yes men that perpetuate you know yeah, forever I, wars, so to speak, right? I, I fucking hate oh. yes men. I, yeah, I was, I, I was never. I, I was always labelled as the the mouthy gobshite when I was when I was serving because I would very rarely just go, yeah, all right. I was more the you what? Why would I do that? Yeah, and now and, and in my <laughs> case particularly, if I had uh, if my chain of command stuck up for me and did what was right, none of this would have happened. But unfortunately, the people that were involved directly in my case were more concerned about their careers and their promotions. And they chose that over protecting their own troops. It's, it's sad, And mate. here I am today. And so. here we are on the Granite Zero podcast. Yeah. Listening to a story that is literally blowing my mind. It's, it's crazy. And all, all, all my listeners, not that I have a huge deal uh, of listeners, but there, there's enough Listen, listen to the, the story. Go, go and check out Andy's, um, sorry, Andy's, Adam. Andy was my last bloody podcast. Too many A's, mate. Uh, go and check out Adam's um, website. Check out his Instagram. Check out his Facebook and his, and his Twitter and just really look into this story because it is fucking mental. 
<laughs> That's the only way to describe it. It is mental. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, mate, I think I think I need to go and process this a bit more. Like this is mental. You're not the only person who's told me that they need to sit down and think about my case a lot more after hearing the <laughs> yeah. story. So I think every single person I tell the story to needs you yeah. Know, well, a few, well, today a few I was, to sit down I was and think about it. Yeah, today I was flicking through your website trying to pluck little bits of information out. I was listening yeah. while, while I was blowing up the girls. Uh, we got a little paddling pool um, out in the garden. Mm-hmm. While I was blowing that out and doing my little workout that I did, I had the Andy Stump podcast playing. I was like, well, I've got to get as much information here as possible so I don't look like a fucking moron when you're coming through all this, all the gen that's coming out. But Yeah, and like I said, you know, the, the story's confusing, but we try to lay it out really simple on the website. And like I said, if you want to look at the evidence, the evidence is all posted there. My criminal background check is clean. There's nothing listed on it. And the medical exactly. records are blatantly falsified. So you can't get around that. Yeah. Well, mate, I think, I think it's probably about the time we, um, we, we close off the old, uh, the old podcast. But it's been a, a, a true eye-opener talking to you and an absolute honor and a privilege to have you on. No, I'm, I'm uh, very thankful for the invite on the podcast, Sean. And please uh, reach out to me whenever you want. I'm always willing to chat and talk. Oh, so. definitely, mate. Definitely. I, I say it to every, all, all of my guests. Anytime they want to come on and have a chat, whether it's about, about your case or if you just want to talk about other military stuff, I'm always I'm, all, um, well, I'm a proper geek when it comes to the military stuff. So I'll, I'll talk your ears off. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Sean. Oh, no problem, mate. The, the, honor, the honor's all mine to have you on, mate. Seriously, your, your story is incredible and I hope it all fucking gets smashed and gets ironed out and you get, you get, you get to fly those planes. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Catch you later. Bye. See you later, mate. What's going on? What have I done? <laughs>